The Extra Pack of Peanuts Travel Podcast, Episode 73. Spain is the only country in Europe that grows bananas. That's B-A-N-A-N-A-S. Hello, travel nerds, and welcome to the Extra Pack of Peanuts Travel Podcast, the show that teaches you how to travel more while spending less. I'm your host, Travis Sherry, and whether this is your first time listening or you've been hearing me through your earbuds for the last year and a half, I want to say thank you for joining us today and making us the number one rated travel podcast on iTunes. Don't forget, guys, we are in week number four of Podcast Gluttony, which means we'll be releasing a show every single weekday for the entire month of September, 22 shows in all for the month. So if you miss some of those, you can go back, have a listen to some of those episodes. We've got some real gems in there, including an interview with New York Times bestselling author AJ Jacobs, a show where we reveal our 16 favorite breweries in America. Lots of comments on that. Lots of people with some animosity of our decisions. So let us know what your favorites are on that. And even one that we released about our weirdest foods that we've eaten. And you can find all those shows on iTunes or on the website, extrapackofpeanuts.com slash pods, P-O-D-S. And speaking of great interviews, today I'm super excited to introduce you to someone who said I've been following for a while now, but only recently actually connected with a guy who is a location independence guru, one half of an amazing travel duo, and also the host of his own podcast, Rob Dix from makingitanywhere.com. Rob, thanks so much for coming on the show and welcome. Great to be part of Podcast Gluttony. I'm, I'm exhausted just hearing about it. It sounds awesome. It is crazy. It is fun. It's been a great time. Like I said, we're in week four, so we've got a few shows left. And if people like it, we're going to keep doing it. So let us know, guys. And Rob, I got to tell you, anytime I bring on another podcast, I get really excited because I know the quality is going to be really good. I know they're going to have a perfect podcasting voice, but I get a little nervous because you know you want to make sure the intro's right. I'm not stumbling over my words too much. So I hope I brought my A-game today for you. Well, I think everyone should know if they don't already. That was a live intro. Not, I would do 15 takes at that and I'd get my editor to patch it together word by word. You've just gone out there and done it. I'm intimidated now. <laughs> well, yeah, I used to do like 15 or 20 intros and then I thought, man, this is taking me way too much time. I might as well just go with it. So that's, hey, live intros. And you know, one of the things that I love about your site, we mentioned, it's called makingitanywhere.com. Awesome name. I think it sums up everything that you guys do there. And what's really interesting is that you don't just do one thing. And I think a lot of times people come up with these big ideas and they think, you know, I'm going to leave my job and I'm going to do this one thing and it's going to be the biggest thing ever and then I'm going to be done. And I thought that when I started my site and I wrote my book and then it didn't sell a million copies. And I thought, oh, now this is a continuing process. Can you explain what you guys do at Making Anywhere and kind of all the different arms that you have out there? I won't explain it all because that would take the entire podcast and more. But yeah, we do a lot of stuff. So basically, I work and travel with my wife, Mish. So we're normally Mish and Rob, but I'm flying solo today. And makingitanywhere.com is kind of the site that we started after we'd quit our jobs and moved to the States from the UK. And we had no idea what we were going to do. We just took that leap without really having a plan. And 
we didn't have a great idea. We didn't have this great big vision. We're not that smart. We just thought, let's just, let's just try everything. And, and so that's, that's been the process. And now we're like two and a half years in and we feel like we're finally getting to grips with the whole thing. But we really just tried a load of stuff and the things that stuck our kind of day job effectively we write in branding for clients in like all kinds of different spaces but then alongside that we've got lots of other little projects so we've written books about various things we've got all kinds of side projects we've got our own community now we've got making it anywhere itself and also we've got like the side project which went crazy which is i've got this whole um sideline in real estate residential real estate in the uk which seems like the world's most niche and boring topic but that's now spawned two podcasts and a couple of books and a community. And we've now started a bricks and mortar property management company, which we are running with a co-founder while we travel the world. So it sounds like a lot and it is a lot, but the happy side effect of us having this crazy life is that we're proving that you can do pretty much anything from pretty much anywhere. And that's the message that we're trying to get out. If you want to do it, there's no reason not to. Yeah, I think that's so true. And what's really neat about what you said there is you didn't really have an idea, you know, and I, and you were, you're not the smartest people in the world. No offense, not trying to, but neither am I. And I think the smarter you are, sometimes the, you talk yourself out of doing things. Whereas if you kind of are, na- are naive to it, you sit there and you think, well, I'm going to give it a go. And that's what you guys did. And when you first jumped into location independence, what was your situation? You know, were you already, doing stuff on the side and then you jumped away from your day jobs? Was it a total leap of faith? You know, was there any plan in place? How did that happen? We'd always been vaguely entrepreneurial. I'd always had had kind of things on the go, but we were both working in regular jobs and not particularly unhappy. We'd never really traveled much before. Travel wasn't a big deal for us, but Mish, my wife, wanted to go and spend six months living in New York. Had lived there before, loved it, always wanted to go back. I loved it too. And we were kind of, how old were we? Like sort of 27, 28 years old. And some we've been in our career for a few years. And we're just like, well, there's never going to be a good time to go and do this. So we might as well just go and do it. So we just quit and went and did it. And it was originally going to be like, just we'll just go out there for six months, have an awesome time then come back and we'll do something. We'll spend the six months figuring out what we want to do, thinking that we'd just go back and get regular jobs again, doing something different. While we were out there that we discovered the whole digital nomad thing, like we had no idea what that was. And like we were reading about all these people who were living in Chiang Mai, but we never even heard of Chiang Mai. It's like Chiang Mai, what is that place? And um, just discovered all 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 these blogs about people doing it and just like, It was just a really weird kind of bolt from the blue. It's just like, this had never been on the radar before, but as soon as we heard about it, it was just like, yeah, that's what we want to do. And that's what we did. We haven't stopped ever since. And so from there, it was just a process of deciding how we were going to make it pay for itself. And how did you guys do that? Did you go then to New York and say, all right, we're going to be here for six months. We have enough saved up that we're going to be able to live in New York and just kind of enjoy ourselves like a quote unquote long vacation in New York. And then you thought you'd come back. And then how did you say, you know, how did you then transition to say, all right, we want to do this digital nomad thing. We want to be location independent. We now know it's pronounced Chiang Mai. That sounds cool. (laughs) Where did you then go? Like, what was the process of actually starting something that made you money? Because I think that's a lot of times the hardest part is someone says, okay, cool, I want to do it. But they think they have no skills. And how can they even start? And I think the idea of having no skills is a bad one and, and probably wrong, but how were you able to go from we want to do it to now we're actually doing it? 
Mm-hmm. Well, first of all, I'll say that if you are quitting and trying to do something when you're not making any money, New York is a terrible place to go. Do not go to right, New York. Right, I was going to say, <laughs> Chiang Mai, much easier than New yeah. York, maybe five times more expensive, yeah, right? Yeah, so don't do that. We just didn't know. We just kind of took the skills we had and just kind of did what we could. So I actually wrote a post on this, which might be useful to link to about the process that we went through. But we literally started out on Fiverr.com. And I used to work in PR, so I knew how to write press releases. So I'll be like, I'll write you a press release for five bucks. And we just, we just do, do stuff on there. And then we sort of graduated from there onto Elance, just doing whatever kind of random writing work came up on Elance. And then from there, we started to get our own clients here and there just by, just through friends of friends and so on. It's really just that whole process that we went through, just starting at the absolute bottom and learning as we go, like improving our craft and starting to read all these blogs out there about how to make freelancing work and everything else and just worked our way up really until like our hourly rate now is just such an insane multiple of when we started. It's ridiculous, but it was just that process. And we've just, by working really hard and practicing, we've taken this kind of a vague skill we had and turned it into something that people value enough to pay good money for. It's not like we knew this when we started. We just developed that skill. And all the things we've done on the side, like writing books and building communities, we didn't know how to do them. We just started doing them. And that is a really uncomfortable thing for a lot of people to do. But you kind of have to, because you're never going to know it all. What's so neat about that story as well is you're right. You started from the bottom. I mean, people always want to start their website and they want to do their own thing. Like, I want to start a website. I want to build an app or whatever it is. And I want to become huge. And you guys, you know, quote unquote, humbled yourself and said, okay, we want this location independent lifestyle. We want to be digital nomads. Let's start on Fiverr, where you're literally getting paid $5, if people don't know, $5 to do a job for someone. And then it's a way to make money, obviously a small amount of money in the beginning. And then you go on and you do freelancing. And that's really neat to me because not many people come on and talk about, we started from the very bottom. I mean, that's about as low as you can get. You're getting 5 bucks to do one-off jobs. And uh, that's pretty cool that you were able to then take that, crystallize what you were good at and become better at it get your own clients, and now to the point where, yeah, you get paid a lot of money to do something because you're good at it, but it wasn't always the case. Yeah, exactly. I think that it's not a lot of fun like, taking such a huge hit and getting paid so little, but it solves the problem of getting hung up on so much different stuff. So like, when people decide that, say they're a graphic designer or something, and they want to start doing it freelance while they travel, then they'll just spend forever like building out their website and wondering whether the Twitter widget should go in the sidebar on the footer or whatever it's like none of this matters like because you're not going to have a way of getting anyone to this site and everything that you've assumed about your target market is probably wrong it's just a complete waste of time and you could be six months down the line and be no further ahead it's so much better to just kind of start by just kind of going here i am i'll do whatever and just kind of learn as you iterate as you go yeah, it's very unsexy. It's not what people want to hear. It's not what they want to do. But if the goal, if the end goal is to live somewhere and work for yourself and whatever it is, then that's a way to get there. And that's probably the most effective way to get there if you're not starting with a website already or you haven't built anything out before you've quit your job. It's money and you need money to live off of and you need a lot more in New York than you do in Chiang Mai. But it's one way to go about it and to start. 
Yeah, exactly. It's it's definitely not the sexy way of doing it, but it's just like there are plenty of other great ways. Like if you've done your research properly, like we know people who've been so much more intentional about it than we were and they've like been building something on the side alongside their day job and been researching everything and that's awesome. That's probably the way to do it if you're if you're smart enough to do that, but we weren't and so we did it and like if nothing else the way we did it works and it worked for us and if someone really doesn't have a clue, I'd say yeah, do the same. Yeah, and you you teach people on your site, Making It Anywhere, and it's very indicative, you know, the title. You teach people how to become location-independent, how to become digital nomads. The idea is you can work from anywhere. You can make your life work from anywhere, and you guys have proven that because you've been traveling around. What are some of the paths you've seen people take to become location-independent? Because you talked about yours, and it was basically starting at the bottom, no plan. We don't know what we're going to do. We fall into it, and we worked our butts off, and we got to where we are. And then there are the people who are more intentional about it. what are some of the more unique or interesting kind of ways that you've seen people take this location independent lifestyle and make it work? It's a good question. The one that I find the most interesting is where people take something that you normally think is very offline and they manage to find a way of making it work online. Which is exactly something I wanted to ask you about in a little bit. And you could talk about that in here if you want. Yeah, well, I'll, I'll just like a couple of quick examples. Like, you know, we know someone who's a, like a therapist of some kind, which you think is like a really, you you sort of sit there while someone lays on a couch and they, and talk to them in your office and stuff, but she does it over Skype. We know people who do all kinds of different stuff like that. And I think that's really cool when people can take something that they already do or take something related to a skill they've got. Like there's one girl I know of who was a dentist and she's now gone location independent and she's training dentists to do something because she understands the dentist market. So that's, that's always really cool. There's lots of other ways as well. And so if people have got the savings to like buy themselves six months of no income, then that's long enough to learn about e-commerce or learn about affiliate marketing or whatever, really. There are just so many different paths. I always think that the main distinction is between selling a product versus selling a service. That's kind of the biggest distinction in my mind. But then that breaks down into so many different things beyond that as well. And that's all quite different as well, because if you're selling a service, which is effectively what we did to start with, you can make your money pretty quickly. If you if you can find a client, you might only need one or two clients to be making as much money as you were before. Whereas if you're selling a product, it can take a heck of a lot longer to make that first sale or to get enough sales together. But then when you do, fantastic. If you do it right, your time and your income are totally decoupled. So they're two very distinct pathways, but then we see lots of people kind of doing the hybrid thing that we've done, where you kind of start out with a service, find a way to productize it a little bit, and so on and so on. Yeah, and what's really neat is then you can do both. I mean, you can have a product that people can buy at any point, which is some of the things that I do. You know, you can buy the ultimate guide to freaking fire miles at any day, any time, whatever. But then there's other service industry things where I do where it be one-off consulting or, or anything like that. And I think a lot of people then do find that they like to mesh the two because the product thing... It seems passive and it can be at times, but then you have to figure out how to market and things like that. And sometimes you just want to deal with people on the service side. And there, there's many ways to go about it. But I love the examples you gave. You know, it's not a, it's not your typical location independent thing. Let's put it that way. You're not a graphic designer who can work from their computer. You're not a blogger, a podcaster, what have you. You're someone who everyone thinks traditionally would be at home all the time, like you said, therapist, dentist, things like that. And one of the main pushes of your website is that you you say there aren't these one size 
fits all models. There's a lot of models out there and you can do stuff that people assume isn't something that's location independent. And you do a little bit of that with real estate because I think a lot of people would say, okay, real estate, this guy would have to be on the ground. He'd have to be out scoping out places. He'd have to be there in person all the time to make it work because it's it's constantly changing and how can he do it from anywhere? How do you juggle the real estate thing? Something that everyone assumes you have to be in one place to do, but you're able to do it in a location independent way. I guess delegating is a, is a big part of it. And just like having, like with something like real estate, you have to have people on the ground doing stuff. And so it's like, does that have to be you? No, if, you, if you've kind of got people you trust and you've got the systems in place where you can communicate with them and check in with them, then they can be, they can be doing all that. So with a property management company we're doing, that's like, that, that seems really insane. Cause it's like, so we're going to be in Spain and we're going to be managing these hundreds of properties in the UK. Um, but yeah, <laughs> why not? Because like yes, locally there's going to be people doing everything that needs to be done, but we can we can communicate with them. We're, we've got members of staff in the UK, but they're not all in the same office together. They're all working from home and using the same systems to communicate that we do. And so, with the technology and setting things up in the correct way, I think there are very few things that you where you have to be in one place. It's mostly just the challenges are overcoming people's ideas about it i know a guy who is a um he does kind of pension planning and stuff like that he's like a financial advisor and for a long time he was he really wanted to be in location independent but when you're doing something to do with your pension and everything else you want to see someone face to face so he couldn't do it because of his clients but then over time perceptions have shifted and now people are so much more comfortable doing things virtually that he realized he was doing most of his stuff over the phone and over email so he's just started traveling around a bit it's like well why not i realize no one is ever coming to my office so there's no need for me to be there and that seems to be the way it's gone and the overhead would be i mean if you get rid of your office completely the overhead is so much less because you then don't have the office electricity bills whatever i mean there's ways to do it that not only allow you the freedom to travel and do what you want but also to cut costs yeah definitely that's that's the most amazing thing about what we're setting up right now it's just like because we are working from anywhere and we're okay with our staff working from anywhere, it means that we can hire the best people regardless of where they are, which is amazing. And it's a really great proposition for them because they get to work from home. And it means that we can just like slash what the normal startup costs would be in half because you're not paying for all this crazy stuff and you really don't need to anymore. Yeah, it's so cool that there are so many people out there and there are so many examples of people taking what would be 10 years ago, even five years ago, this idea that I can't do, or even two years ago, you know, I can't do it from anywhere. And they're just saying, wait a second, I'm going to try it. And it's funny because a lot of those people end up being much more successful from a financial perspective, as well as obviously a lifestyle perspective, because they're taking a risk and people are saying like, oh, that's innovative or that's creative. And it just kind of then builds from there. Yeah, exactly. And there are some things which obviously have to have a bricks and mortar component, but it doesn't mean that you have to be there running it. So there's like a guy I know who was running a music school in Canada and he decided he wanted to travel. So he just kind of put the systems in place that he could have people running it for him. And he just kind of checks in and does bits and pieces from the road. And I think he visited like a hundred countries last year or something insane while his school that he was tied to for all these years just kind of ran itself just because he had that mindset shift. It's just like, 
I'm going to make this happen somehow. And he did. Yeah, we got to get him on the podcast too. Tell yeah. talk about it. Yeah, that's it's so neat and it's it's happening all over and so if you're someone who's listening and saying, "Well, that's cool. You guys can work digitally, you know, Travis, you have a blog so you can write anywhere and a podcast and this and that." You know, Rob is someone who's doing a brick and mortar type industry but doing it from anywhere and there's a lot of those examples out there. So don't be disheartened. Kind of try to shift your mindset and say, like Rob mentioned, do I have to be the one on the ground or do I have to be the one on the ground every single day? Maybe you come back every month to check in and put and you know work a couple days to do all the stuff that you have to do and then you leave again. So there's a lot of ways to do it. And so Rob, if someone comes to you and they say, you know, I want to be location independent. I want to be a digital nomad. I want to travel. I want to run my own business. I want to make it anywhere. You know, what do you tell them in the beginning? How do you start this conversation with them? Well, the first thing I say is you said something really important, which which is just like you don't have to be the person on the ground all the time. To be a digital nomad, you don't have to be permanently traveling. You don't have to be always on the move, always going somewhere new. You can like we we pop back to the UK every few months because there's stuff that needs to be done. Sometimes we'll we'll stay places for months on end, sometimes we'll only be there for a few days. There is no kind of right way of doing things. You can you can make the lifestyle into anything that you want it to be. So having kind of got that out of the way, then it's just like, well, yeah, where where do you start from there? And I guess there's two parts, aren't there? There's the practicalities of kind of the commitments that you've currently got. And so I always think that's kind of the easy bit because it's just like, well, okay, if you've got an apartment, you need to sell it or rent it out or whatever. And if you've got a job, you need to quit it or arrange a like way of working for the road or something. But it's all kind of stuff that can be done. Then the hard part is, like, okay, so how am I going to make money? Then it's about finding that kind of sweet spot between what you can do and what people are willing to pay for and how to kind of package it all up in an interesting way. And that's where there's no real, there's no real easy answer to it. But I think the two things to do are probably to get some kind of community around you from people who can be a little bit further back from the process than you are. So you can kind of, cause you might not be able to see what your skills are or whatever, as someone else could. And also to just kind of learn everything that there is out there because all the information is out there. We just read an incredible amount and we just learn so much from just following all these bloggers and podcasts and everything else and just piecing together all these little bits of information. And so if I was going to be wanting to leave my job in six months time, I'd just start reading and listening like crazy now and just kind of getting indoctrinated with the whole thing. Yeah, there's no reason that you have to take the leap completely. And and as Rob mentioned, as I usually mention on podcasts, it's probably better not to. I mean, some people have to and it works and that's fine. And there, there's a lot of ways to go about it. And that's kind of the big gist of this episode is there's a lot of ways to do it. But if if you want to be more systematic or you're more conservative... You know, if you think I want to leave my job, I I don't want to leave it yet. You know, start socking away money. Stop spending it on all the things that you're doing right now, so that you have a nest egg. And also, just start listening and reading. You can learn skills as you go. Very few people out there are working 12, 14, 16 hours a day where they're like working and they don't have time to kind of do something else. So, you know, cut out the two hours a day that you're watching TV and maybe learn about how to do video editing. I mean, if you spend 30 hours learning about video editing, you're going to have a pretty good idea of at least how to start. And and so there's so many skills out there. And if you don't know what skills you have, I think that's a big thing for a lot of people. They assume because they have, they, they're not doing something on their own, they're working for a company that they don't have skills. Like, oh, I, I've 
can't write or I don't know how to start a website or I'm not a graphic designer. And I think me and you would be the first to admit I felt that way when I started. Like I didn't know what my skills were. I sat there and thought, man, all these people are making it. They know how to build a website. I have no idea. They they can they can use Photoshop. I have no idea. They can use iMovie or uh, and I I didn't have any skills really. At least I didn't think I did until you start doing stuff and you realize that skills don't have to always be technical skills. Maybe you're good at talking to people, building relationships, stuff like that. So if you don't think you have skills, pull back a little bit. Look at what you're doing in your job and look at where your personality fits. And as Rob mentioned, I would ask the people around you because you're a lot harder on yourself most of the time than other people are. Yeah, I think it's really easy if you're a programmer because you just because then it's really obvious what you go and do. But I'd say the majority of jobs, that's not the case. But you do just have to take a step back. And you you mentioned personality as well, which I think is really important because different people suit different things. And it might not be something you'd really you'd really given much thought to before. But there are you said the theme was there are lots of different ways of doing it. And there are. And the great thing is that means that you can kind of find the right one for you or craft your own. You don't have to kind of go, you know, there's no need to sort of see what someone else is doing and copy and copy them if it doesn't feel right. You can just figure out what's right for you. Yeah, and the idea of skills is is a funny one because for the longest time, I was a high school history teacher and I always was having a hard time figuring out where I fit in in this world because I had a friend who'd be a plumber and if something was wrong, I'd call me, come help me, or a friend who was a carpenter and all these people with these, these different skills and I didn't feel like I had a specific skill that someone would call me and be like, Trav, help me out with this. I knew I had to... I was very personable. People liked me. I liked being around groups of people. I like connecting people, but I didn't know how that was going to play out. And I think a lot of people out in the world are like that. They don't have a specific quote unquote skill they can point to. They're not a handyman. You know, there's not something like that. And it takes a while to figure that out. And for me, you know, I didn't know what it was going to be. And I actually felt really bad about myself in my mid twenties because I kept thinking, well, it, you know, if something happened, like big deal, there's one less history teacher, right? Or something like that. And, uh, I just, I follow my passion of travel and now I eventually, I feel like I'm important because people can come to me and say, hey, we want to travel here. You know, whenever people are traveling, they come for advice or I teach them how to travel cheaper and all that kind of stuff. So I don't think if you're someone like me who thinks you have no skills, all hope is not lost, right, Rob? Yeah. And now you are teaching and you are bringing people together and stuff. So you're using all those skills. You just invented your own job in a way that you never imagined you could. Yeah. And it, and it, it's just, I guess the moral of that story is that if you are someone who feels that way, and I think a lot of people do because, you know, they might be doing a service, they might be working an office job where it's not exactly defined what they're good at. They're just kind of doing a job and going about it. You know, it takes a little time to find it. So don't be disheartened if you don't exactly know what it is that you can take with you and start. Mm-hmm. And I, I know for you guys, Rob, you know, you've you've done a lot of traveling now and you have a travel schedule that's much more structured than mine. And I think that's a very good thing. I'm actually attempting to emulate your way of traveling a bit more over the next half a year or so. Talk about how you guys travel and the thought behind how you travel. We are naturally planners anyway, and so we probably would be quite organized. But then we also, because we have certain things like we want to be back in the UK for Christmas, we need to come back every so often for business and family stuff. So we took, we normally kind of do a few months away at any one time, followed by a couple of weeks back. So we just kind of divide up the year 
almost into courses. Like the, when we started, we were just kind of going all over the place and traveling all the time and trying to figure it out. And we've, we're kind of working towards this kind of vision where every three months we're in a different part of the world. So it'd be like, it'd be so awesome if we could just do three months in Europe, then back for a bit, and then three months in the States, three months in Asia and so on and so on. And that's kind of where we're going towards. We're kind of getting there. Like we, before we were sort of like moving around every week or two, just going to wherever seemed like a good idea. One time we went online to book to go to Milan, but we ended up booking to go to Madrid because it just, it just suddenly felt like we just saw it like above or below whatever it was. And it suddenly seemed like a better idea. So we did it. And another time we just like, you know, on Skyscanner, you can put in your location and put two everywhere. And so we just did that and we thought, okay, well, the cheapest place is Bulgaria, Sofia. So we'll go there. And we did. And so it was, it was totally random. And now it's, it's, we're kind of settling down, uh, well, not settling down, but we're, we're getting a little bit more predictable about the whole thing. Yeah, relatively settling down for, and I, <laughs> yeah. I think a lot of people do that in the beginning. You know, the, the joy of travel is great and a lot of people want to go everywhere and that's good and, and I do that myself and that's kind of the way I was talking about. Our schedule is not very structured and we kind of go here and there and even when we say we're going to settle down in an area for a little bit, we end up going to all the areas around it and that's fine. I think though for location independence and for building a business, there comes a point for every one of us that becomes very, very hard to go that fast because you don't have the structure in place. And, and you know, you're constantly having to figure out, well, is there good internet here? And can I record a podcast? Or can I write from here? And it just, it becomes a little too much turmoil to really actually become, you know, to grow something. You might just be treading water for a little bit. So for you guys, you usually try to spend a longer period of time in one place, correct? And when you do that, do you rent apartments? How do you go about it? Well, we've kind of discovered that the sweet spot um, for staying in one particular place is at least a month. And then the same kind of region, the same part of the world is at least three months. And so uh, we're going to Spain next week. So we're going to Madrid for a month, Barcelona for about six weeks. We're popping back quickly because it's Christmas. And then we're going to Valencia for a couple of months. So we've got a bit of a thing with Spain at the moment, but that's kind of our general area. And then we're sort of moving around different cities within that. And then when we do that, we always use Airbnb every single time. And we always rent an entire apartment because we need to get, we need to get stuff done. It's just pivotal that we can kind of land and know that within an hour we could have got the sim card the groceries and be in our apartment wi-fi working down to work is really important yeah and people will figure that out as they kind of go down the path of location independence or even just travel even if you're not working from the road I think people naturally start to travel slower the more they do it because they realize it just lends itself to better experiences and you really can dig into the culture and, and kind of have an authentic experience there. In Colorado, we'll have been here for three and a half weeks and the amount of work we were able to get done and the amount of fun we were able to have was magnified compared to if we were only here for a week. And so our travel schedule is slowing down we you know we're we're making a conscious effort to slow it down and i think that one month is a a good breaking point at least a good thing to have in the back of your head of all right i should probably try to spend one month and with that then stuff becomes cheaper because you 
understand where to go. You learn about the deals in the area. Obviously, long-term rentals with Airbnb. Do you guys do much negotiating? Because we've had success with that, with staying somewhere longer term and then negotiating a really good rate for a month versus paying per day. Yeah. Normally, we find that the, the monthly rate versus the daily rate, even before negotiating, is just a huge difference. And so like even if you know you'll only be somewhere for three weeks, it often makes sense to just book a month because it's cheaper anyway. But yeah, you're right. It makes It makes a really big difference in that respect. And it means that you just get... Well, we find that we get so much more, more done and just, and we also feel like we can get stuff done, but we can also get out and explore the place we're in without feeling like we're getting the balance wrong and missing out on one or the other. If you're only somewhere for a week, then you're kind of stuck with either getting no work done or being somewhere and seeing nothing of it because <laughs> you're just tied to the laptop. Yeah. You can, with a month or even three weeks, you can really sit there and say, all right, we're going to do a ton for this week. You know, we might go out here and there or out in the evening or kind of explore a little bit. But I'm going to be working for this week and you can get so much accomplished once you get set up in your place. And I am learning that the hard way of, you know, treading water for like three months as we bumped around Europe basically every week switching spots, you know, this past April and May. And it was a great experience. I wouldn't change it, but you get home and you think, all right, have I grown the business or is it, is it just, you know, staying plateaued and which is fine in some ways, but eventually you're going to want to kind of, as we said, quote unquote, settle down, you know, <laughs> people listen to this are probably like, these guys are crazy. One month in one place is settling down. But, but you know, that is for us. Um, what are some of the places that you've been that you really love, both as a destination and as a place that's conducive to being location independent, being digital nomad? Well, there's the obvious ones. Like Chiang Mai, now I know how to pronounce it, is an obvious one. Berlin, Prague, all the kind of the places that you'd expect. Valencia is somewhere we're going back to where we were earlier this year. And we love that. That's like something that no one really talks about, but it's super cheap. It's a super relaxed lifestyle. It's like you wouldn't necessarily want to go there for more than a day or two if you were just a tourist. Because there isn't that there's no like amazing stuff to see, but there's no big one thing that you must do. But the whole place is just awesome. And there's like a bit of a burgeoning kind of cafe scene and so there's places to go and do your work from and stuff like that just a really relaxed place like really good for having a nice lifestyle and getting stuff done so we're going back there for january and february to just really plow through a load of stuff and have a have a great time so that's somewhere we love where else do we love budapest is great actually we just got back from budapest that's super cheap loads of history lots to do there another place where we didn't get so much done there because there's more to do and we knew people there but it's still a great place to hang out so they're the kind of two places that come to mind right now yeah and what you've mentioned about all those places berlin prague budapest you know the places you mentioned in spain obviously chiang mai what's really cool about most of those places is if someone is living in an American city or in London or anything like that, these are way cheaper. I mean, even Berlin, which I guess would probably be the most expensive one out of the ones you mentioned, is half the price usually, you know, especially for apartments and things like that. And food and everything is cheaper as well. So if you are someone who's just starting, one of the good things to look at is how much is it going to cost to live there? As Rob mentioned, New York, probably not. I mean, a great place to be, super fun. Maybe not the place you want to cut your teeth if you're making a thousand or two thousand dollars a month. But Chiang Mai, Berlin, Prague, you have options in Europe if you want to stay in Europe. And then, of course, as you go to Southeast Asia, stuff even becomes more and more cheap. So a lot of cool opportunities. What about places that you've been that were not so great? Like, is there anywhere that you guys went that you thought, 
all right, we, we might like this, but this wasn't perfect for someone who's location independent or a digital nomad. I think Hong Kong would be an example of that. Hong Kong's a really great place, but it's just it's just so intense. It's just there's there's so much going on. There's so much that you want to do that you don't want to be working. And it's like there's no we felt a bit out of place because it's just a place it's a place where people go to work. And so like we didn't find like the the pocket of weirdos doing the same thing that we do. And so there's no you'd kind of be sitting in Starbucks on your own with your laptop in the middle of the day while everyone comes in in their suits to kind of get their coffee to go. And so I guess that would be an example of that. I think I think you can make it work make it work anywhere, but there are places that are just more conducive because of the characteristics or just because of the kind of the social scene it's like Chiang Mai is the ultimate example obviously where you just kind of turn up to any cafe and you'll find 20 people with MacBook Pros just kind of you can just like start talking to or whatever yeah yeah there's plenty of places where you can make connections Chiang Mai being a huge one Berlin being a, a big one for a bigger city but you can make it anywhere and we've made it in different places and sometimes you know you find these hidden gems that you are the only location independent person and it kind of feels cool sometimes you want to be around other people who can like talk you off the ledge and things like that so um lots of cool places out there i know you believe as i do that almost anyone out there can travel more if they want and it comes down to making a priority figuring out how to do it and you teach a lot of that at making it anywhere and and you're an example of that one of the major parts of building travel as part of your lifestyle is figuring out how to spend much less on travel than people assume. Because everyone, when they hear travel, thinks, going to get on a plane, two weeks, stay in hotels, you know, yada, yada, yada. Most people listening to this don't travel that way. But there's all these tips and tricks for traveling more and spending less. What are some of the best ones that you figured out, kind of regardless of where you are? Mm, I think we need to take some lessons from you on this one. We've never got into frequent flyer miles because... It just the options in the UK aren't as compelling and we obviously would still be better off if we did it, but we've just never got started. So we really should. But in just in terms of bring down the cost, slowing down, which we've already mentioned is the obvious way of doing that. So we like to do all our grocery shopping online because it's easier. It saves going to the supermarket. And if you do a weekly grocery shop, things work out so much cheaper than if you're just always eating out or if you're always running to the store to get this or that. So that that actually saves a lot of money. Uh, if you are conscious of money, I think tracking your spending is a big deal. Like We actually track how much money we spend each day. We don't have a budget, but somehow just kind of being aware of it, just because it's interesting as well, just to, to know we can look back and think, okay, how much were we spending when we were in Prague versus New York versus London versus wherever? Just being conscious of it definitely helps to cut down your spending if that's something that you care about. I don't think we do anything to cut back that much other than go to cheap places in the first place and like not take any luggage with us and so we've just got carry-on so that that makes some savings there that's about it yeah it's funny listening to you speak and and say like we don't do much but then you mention things that to me seem normal as well like bringing a carry-on and staying (laughs) somewhere longer and negotiating like for a longer term rent as opposed to staying day by day but those are a lot of things that you know i tell my friends or people who don't travel as much in their I wouldn't say they're appalled. They're just surprised. Like, wait, you, you only use a carry-on and you've going for three months somewhere. And so it's, it's kind of second nature to us, but it is, it builds up. I mean, the luggage thing is huge. 
definitely the apartments, Airbnb or any of the apartment companies out there, you know, if you're staying long term, you're going to save so much money versus if you're going to try to do a hotel for any extended amount of time, or if you're just going to do a daily rate for three days, five days, and then move on and stuff like that. The grocery thing is interesting. Are you able to do that when you are living abroad? Or is that more of when you're in the UK, you do that type of thing? We could do it in in some places, like in in Prague and Budapest, where they had they had like Tesco and and they had their website in English, and so that was okay. We've tried to do it in foreign languages, and it hasn't worked out so well. But you, you can do it. You can do it in a lot of places, and even if you can't do it online, just like doing one weekly shop, just and being a bit organised about it saves money as well. For us, isn't that's that's more about a kind of a time saving thing, but. But it works. But even before you get into the realms of like travel hacking, it's like travel, I still don't think is that expensive when you compare it to when you think about all the stuff that you can't spend money on anymore. <laughs> like, like you can't spend money buying stuff. You can't spend money on clothes. It's just impossible because you can't take them with you. And so how much money are you saving there? Yeah, it's insane. And I, I love the idea of trying to order groceries not in your language. It's just like a grab bag, right? Your box shows up, you're like, what do we eat? And you just start pulling stuff out. That could be a fun experiment, right? You just, you set a budget, you buy stuff, you don't know what it is and you try to make meals out of it. But I'm with you um, with the tracking, the spending. Again, me and Heather don't exactly have a strict budget. We have to spend this much, but we write down every single cent that we spend and then you can look back and it does usually even out and you kind of have an idea of where your money is going, which is important because then not only can you see where cheaper, but you can also say, if I need to cut down, here's a place that I can cut down. It's just being cognizant of it, really. It is, exactly. And I think it's the same attitude towards money as it is towards lifestyle. It's like spending money where you see a return on it in, in terms of enjoyment, like just not spending money just out of habit or whatever, spending it where it matters and where you care about it and being cognizant of, of it in the same way as you are with your time. It's just like, well, I don't like doing this, so I'm not going to. I'm going to try and arrange my life around things I do like doing. And it's, it's the same mentality, I think. Yeah, 100% agree. And one of my favorite questions to ask guests who come on the show is about their travel mistakes or mishaps. Everyone thinks, all right, these are seasoned travelers talking. So nothing happens bad, right? They travel and it's all perfect and everything works out. We know that the reality is probably exactly 180 degrees from that. I'm sure you've had a few mistakes or mishaps. Is there anything that sticks out in your mind while you're traveling that that happened that obviously now is a funny story? Maybe it was even funny then, but it was something that you hadn't planned for. You know what? I think because we are planners and because we're quite boring, we don't have any kind of amazing stories about like crazy escapades or anything. The mistake that we always make, which is, which is where we plan too much, which is unusual. We plan too far ahead, book a load of flights that we end up not using, which is kind of annoying. Other than that, the worst travel experience we've ever had was getting a train just like a few weeks ago from Prague to Budapest, which should have been like really easy it's meant to be a really beautiful train ride but i think there was some kind of music festival on or something and there just seemed to be like three times as more people on the train than could fit on the train all with giant backpacks all drunk it was horrendous and so our travel mistake was not being aware of that but the solution was to just just walk through the madness into first class and pay a few dollars for an upgrade and solve the entire problem so that's an example i think of spending money where it counts it's just like i'll have a far more pleasant 5 hours if i just spend 10 bucks on a first class upgrade 
Yeah, that's a great point. We just talked about, you know, saving money. And there are so many times, though, and I've had to learn this the hard way as well, because you want to be as frugal as you can a lot of times. But there's so many times where if you just spend a little bit of money, it's going to make it infinitely better. And uh, Chris Gelibo came on and, and he put this perfect. He said it was his $10 rule. If he could spend $10 or less on something, and it was going to it was going to make it better he would do it and it's you know it's 10 bucks so really you know what like for you bump up the first class 10 bucks you have a much better experience i think that is a really good mindset to have too and one of the reasons maybe why you save money other places so that you then can say okay this is a place that i can quote unquote splurge to make my experience better yeah definitely is this allocating it where it counts Exactly. What do you then have in the pipeline that people should be looking out for, either personally or professionally? You said you're going to Spain. You're on a Spain binge here. So if anyone comes through Spain, they'll probably see you in one of the various cities around there. What else are you guys looking to do? Well, the best place to go to see all of it is makingitanywhere.com. And also, if we've, we've got a weekly newsletter, which you can sign up to there, which is where we kind of talk about our various projects. Uh, what have we got coming up? I guess the most relevant thing is that we are launching a site called findanomad.com, which may or may not be live by the time this interview goes out, but if not, it will be very soon, which is where we're, a project that we've been doing with members of our community to kind of create a live map of where digital nomads are at any one time. And so not just now, but also in the future. So you can go on there and put in all your future trips and you can actually, you can book your travel around where interesting people seem like they're going to be. Because that was always a big problem for us. It's like trying to keep track of where our friends are. <laughs> just like we're always finding out that we're missing people or we could have connected with someone really cool in Berlin, but we had no idea they were there. So I think that's a problem for a lot of people who do what we do. So we've built findanomad.com to try and solve that problem. So that's something we're, we're really excited about. So if you go there and it's not live yet, then sign up for the newsletter at Making It Anywhere and you'll find out when it is. Yeah, such a cool idea because as you mentioned, you know, Hong Kong, I'm sure there's some digital nomads, but you don't know where they are. And there are so many places where you can find anyone. Like Chiang Mai, you're going to bump into them every five feet, which is great. But I've had that same thing happen to me, Rob, where it's been, oh, I'm coming through Croatia. And it was like a day after I left and someone I really wanted to meet. Well, I could have, had I known, I could have just left the day later, but you don't know. So findanomad.com sounds really, really cool. I think it's right up the alley of so many people listening to this as well as me and you both. Mm -hmm. Well, yeah, I actually met Jason, who's I know has been on the podcast a bunch of times. We only met up with him in Edinburgh through pure chance because he happened to email me about something. And I mentioned that I was in Edinburgh. I might not have even mentioned it, but then he said, oh, I'm here too. But that's why we kind of, you need to have that structure to find out where people are. It's a really bizarre problem to have for most people, but it is a real problem. Yeah. And the best ideas come from the problems that you have that you want to solve yourself. And you look around, and you're like, no one's done it. So I might as well give it a go. Awesome. Findanomad.com. Rob, thanks so much for calling the show. I'm so excited about all the stuff you're doing. The findanomad.com, the making it anywhere. You're just helping people break free, you know, travel more, become location independent, obviously make it anywhere. It's just so in tune with everything that we're doing here at Extra Pack of Peanuts. So again, if I'll just let, have you guys remind them one more time how they can come connect with you because you're on Twitter, Facebook, obviously makinganywhere.com. How can people, if they say, you know, I heard what Rob said, I'm right there with him. I want to really get you know, join this kind of movement as well. 
the easiest central place is making it anywhere.com. You can shoot us an email from on there. We're on Twitter occasionally as anywhereists, but um, making it anywhere.com is the central hub. And we, we do have um, an online community as part of that as well, which you can check out if you're, if you're already doing it and you want to meet other people who are doing the same and kind of get some, get some support and get some help with all that. So you can check that out as well. But yeah, we'd love to hear from anyone who's doing the same thing. And especially if you're going to be in Spain, because we're spending a lot of time there. <laughs> There you go. And we'll link up everything in the show notes, guys. So it's makingitanywhere.com. If you forget that, that'll all be in the show notes. Rob, thanks again for coming on. It's so cool to have a kindred spirit out there who happens to uh, have a much better accent, though. (laughs) I don't know. I, I think the American accent's way cooler, but thank you. It's been a real pleasure. Thanks, Rob. Cheers. Hey guys, if you like what you heard from Rob today, if you're really just interested in what he was talking about and about being a digital nomad, location independence, and all that good stuff, I highly suggest you head on over to him and Mish's website, makingitanywhere.com. That is going to be a great primer for all the stuff that we talked about in today's show. It's a really well-designed website. It's really easy to use. It's easy to find stuff. So I definitely recommend you head over there, makingitanywhere.com. That's going to have all the other stuff that he talked about linked up as well, including his property podcast, if you're into that, or any of the other projects that they're working on. Also, don't forget, he promised that findanomad.com would be up by the time that this podcast aired. So let's hope that is the case. You can head over, findanomad.com. If it's not up and running yet, make sure to enter your email. They'll send you an email then when it is up and going. That is a really cool project, something I'm super interested in trying out. Really cool idea that we'll be able to find other people around the world doing things like what we're doing, other travelers, other location-independent and digital nomad people so that we can find them, connect with them on a real authentic level. And if you guys forget all of that, or you just want to see all the stuff we've talked about in this show linked up in the show notes in a nice, easy, convenient place for you, you can go to extrapackofpeanuts.com slash making it anywhere. That'll have all the stuff that me and Rob talked about in today's show linked up for you there. Also, don't forget, this is show number 19 of Podcast Gluttony. So if you like what we're doing, please let me know. Trav at extrapackofpeanuts.com. Of course, you can leave a review on iTunes or on Stitcher. We've had a lot of fun doing it. We want your feedback to tell us what you like, what you don't like, what you want to hear more of, everything like that. So please, please, please give us the feedback on the new podcast format and Podcast Gluttony as well. If you missed some of the old shows, there are some awesome gems in there from our top 16 favorite breweries, our top sporting events, some things on destinations like Colorado, Croatia, India, as well as how to pick the right backpack and all types of travel tips. And also some amazing interviews, including one with AJ Jacobs, one of my role models, someone I was really, really stoked to get on and have interviews. So if you're looking for the old episodes, you can go to extrapackofpeanuts.com backslash pods. You can find all the old episodes we've ever done, including all the ones we've done this past September for Podcast Gluttony. Thank you once again, everyone, for all the support, for supporting Podcast Gluttony, for making us the number one rated travel podcast on iTunes. I can't thank you enough for taking the time to listen today and for listening to all the episodes we've been putting out. So thank you, thank you, thank you. And until tomorrow, happy free travels.